Good morning, saints. Good morning. Oh, come on, do better than that. Good morning, saints. Come on, Milt has already gotten you excited. So let's get a little more excited. Invite each and every one of you to stand and turn to page 469 in your hymnals. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Can everybody say, leaning on the everlasting arms? This side here, you guys keep playing. This side here is going to do leaning, and then this side here is going to echo leaning. Let's practice. Two, three, four. Leaning. Shh. Let's go to the chorus. Let's go to the chorus. One, two, ready, go. Leaning, lean. Everybody. Safe and secure from all this side right here. Leaning, lean, leaning, leaning. All right, now you know what to do. Let's do it with a little gusto. One, two, and here we go. Lean. Come on, give it to me. From all, I can't hear you. Leaning. All right. Okay. Since, since you all don't want to enter the pearly gates, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut out the piano. We're going to cut out the organ. And you're going to sing a cappella. Because you know what? When we didn't have any instruments, what did we have to use? This instrument right here, right? Huh? Oh, nobody wants to talk back to me. I'm just going to leave then. Okay. Okay. So we're going to go leaning. You hear, you hear the note, right? You hear the melody? Lean. Everybody got it? Huh? All right, here we go. One, two, and ready, sing. Safe and secure from. Oh, that sounds good. Come on now. On the everlasting. Oh, oh, that sounds beautiful. Give your hand. Give yourselves a hand clap. Come on. Don't be afraid to clap. Come on. It's okay. We're clapping to God. We're not clapping for ourselves. We're clapping for God. All right. All right. Will we turn to page 
341, because we are sons and daughters of God, and this morning we're giving glory to God. Who are we giving glory to? We're giving glory to who? Okay, all right, just making sure we're in the right church this morning, because, man, okay. So 341, two, 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 two. I like that, man, that's nice. Let's go. show of hands. Let me see if you know this. The name of it is Majesty. Does everyone know it? Show your hands if you know it. Okay, for those who don't know it, we should probably have had that on the screen, but it's simple, simply this. Majesty, worship His Majesty, unto Jesus be all glory, power, and praise. Let's repeat that. Majesty, worship His Majesty, unto Jesus be all glory, power, and praise. Majesty is kingdom authority. You know what? Maybe we should change it. Yes, Jesus loves me. You, you think we can do this song? All right, let's do it. Worshiping unto Jesus, 
glory, power, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem. So exalt, so exalt, lift up, lift up on high, the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify, Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died. Now glorify King of our King. Let's do it again. Majesty. Majesty. Worship His Majesty. Worship His Majesty. Unto Jesus. Unto Jesus. Be our glory, power, and praise.
mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the people see his glory. Amen. Amen. For those of you who were here last week, you know what our camp theme is all about. It's words of life. And so we're hoping that the words that we sing, the words that we share, the words you gain from Scripture will be planted somehow deep within you, that you will find that you have your own words to describe the way in which life has come to you in this experience through the Spirit and in Jesus Christ. The idea came to us through Southeastern California Conference, which now, I guess, has a couple of churches that are doing camp meeting, Loma Linda being the most notable, and through my wife, who was aware of that when I said to her last uh, well, a month ago, what am I going to do in July and August? And she said, how about camp meeting? So uh, you, you all, all of this, good or bad, to Jill. Just, just to... Uh, yeah. <laughs> So it seemed uh, good to me, and we have pursued it. Uh, the involvement level has just been amazing. I want to thank our musicians and all those who are participating, those preparing meals. We have a schedule. It's available on the website. It's in your bulletin. We're trying our best to communicate, but there's so many wonderful things going on. This is a particularly rich time for our church family. And so we pray that this afternoon um, you will join us for our picnic, which I think a word there could be nourishment or pleasure, or there are a lot of words we can find around eating, I think. Um, and then immediately following, we're going to, of course, clean up and prepare for the next event, and then we'll be right here in the sanctuary for a Heritage Singer Reprise concert. And you can decide if you want to go to that after hearing us this morning. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot of pressure, right? No, it's this is so much fun, and the group does sound great, and we've just had a wonderful... So how many of you grew up listening to the Heritage Singers in one way or another? See, there it is. You'll want to be here. You're not going to want to go anywhere. And then after that little, com- uh, that little concert, we have um, a focus on words again, and we have a presentation from Peter Thornburg. His word is surprise, and he's going to take 20 minutes and share with us some thoughts on the word surprise, and we'll have a chance to interact with him afterward and uh, maybe share a prayer or two uh, before we go into our 3 o'clock seminar, which will take us to 5, and then we will uh, close with a bit of, of prayer again at the end of this evening. We're just bathing this, this time in prayer, asking God to bless us and to be with us in a very particular way. So thank you for being here today. If this is your first week, we hope you'll join us again next week as we conclude our camp meeting time and series. And um, I just invite you to... Uh, prepare your hearts and your minds for a very uh, interesting thing God is going to do because of the time that we've committed to him in all of this and because of his profound desire to love and bless us. And so, thank you. Lee, will you come lead us in our theme song, which is Words of Life? And we have some who will sing harmony with you, so...
I can't hear them. You can't hear no, them? No, I can't hear the congregation at all. Okay. Do you think maybe they I think stand? maybe we need to stand. All right, let's get this going here. All right. Sweetly echo the gospel call. Wonderful words of life. Say that line with me. Sweetly All right, and you know what? Let's speed it up just a little bit. Just a little bit. Sweetly echo the gospel call. Wonderful words of love. Much better. Offer pardon and peace to all. Wonderful words of love. Jesus only Savior. Let's do that again. Beautiful words, wonderful words. Of... Let's repeat that chorus. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Here we go. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. Beautiful words, wonderful words, wonderful words of life. You may be seated. now let's take a moment and ask everyone as much as possible please kneel as we invite God to be with us today so please kneel with us Lord, there are so many words that come to mind as we kneel before you. Gratitude, expectation, hope, a sense of purpose, perhaps, pain for some, a sense of being out of body. We've been running so fast and now we're trying to still ourselves sense of presence, that's a word. There's so many words that come right now. We think of help. We think of thanks. We think of wow. We think of wonder and awe. We think of your glory and your grace. We think of the word praise, and we've done our best to lift our voices to that end this morning. But there's really one word, actually one name, that stands above all in heaven and earth, and that's Jesus. And so to the one who saves, to him who is and was and is to come, 
to him who has been given authority on heaven and earth and everything below the earth, to the one who reigns with the Father forevermore, to the King of kings and Lord of lords, wonderful counselor, almighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, to Jesus be the glory now and forevermore. Amen. How's everybody doing out there? All right, so this is the part of our service today where a few weeks back, Greg had asked, put the call out to those of us in the uh, body of the church here. He wanted to hear some testimonies during the service. He wanted to hear how God had blessed some of us individually and in our families. And so uh, I have to tell you, it's one of the most humbling things you can do is to stand here with this bright light in your face right here looking out at about 150 of you there maybe and open yourself up um so the one thing i have to remind myself when when i do stuff like this which is not very often is that it's really about god it's not so much about me it's about what god is intending to do for each one of us in the room here and even outside of the room but I have to tell you all, in all honesty, the story I'm going to start with was about me. And Milton, you asked the question earlier on, where did everyone come from? Well, I've got to tell you, I came from the church of me. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about before I tell you what's going on here? How many of you kind of have a clue here, okay? Now, I, I was born here in Southern California and was raised out in the Riverside area. Turns out my folks had come up through the Seventh-day Adventist schooling system and promptly took a left turn when they hit their adulthood in the mid-50s. So they kind of made the decision they really weren't going to raise all of us kids in, in the church. So I've only come to know, you know all of this and more of this as I've gotten older and my folks have gotten older and we have see eye to eye as adults and they've shared with us where they were at that time and why they made the decisions. But um, during those years, you know, we were raised with pretty good morals and values. There wasn't anything terrible going on in my family. There just wasn't God. There weren't any Bibles in the house. There wasn't any urging to go to church. There wasn't any talk about any of it. It just wasn't there. It was kind of like, do your own thing and don't hurt everybody else. So... I grew up with a whole lot of energy and a whole lot of attitude and a whole lot of enthusiasm for going after what I wanted in life. I don't know if that's something that's maybe just in my blood. I think it's in everybody's blood to a certain degree, right? But um, I went to school. I went to college. I got a bachelor's degree in marketing. I worked in construction all those years during high school and in college. My family was involved in construction. That's where I got all this hands-on you guys see me involved with around here. That's where it started. Amen. I never really disliked it. 
But about the time I was six months out of college with my bachelor's degree in marketing, interviewing for jobs and sales, still working in plumbing, at a job site without a hard hat on that day, I got bonked over the top of a head by a two by four coming down. And uh, I won't say that was the moment that it made me sort of wake up or anything, but I remember kind of coming out of that whole process that week. Um, I think I must have had a mild concussion, I'm sure. Sure had a gash in my head about that long. Thinking to myself, this is why I stayed in college and finished, because I didn't want to end up doing this when I was 40 and 50. I didn't want to have, you know, the, the Church of Budweiser at 3.30 every afternoon be what I worshipped for and what I aimed for. And that's, that was going on a lot in the 70s and the 80s in the construction fields out there. There had to be something more. I really wasn't sure what it was. So I continued to pursue this um, look for, this search for work outside of the uh, got to do it with your back field and more into got to do it with your mind field. And I ended up being hired at a national printing company as a sales rep out in the Los Angeles area here. No sales experience prior to that. Never did a cold call on anyone. Think about that. The first three weeks of going to work in sales coming out of construction, my hands, the calluses just peeled off my hands. I didn't know what, was, what that was all about until I realized I'd been working with my hands so long, they were so calloused that, they were, that my body was actually healing from that. It was strange. To make a very long story short, many years went by. I had a pretty good degree of success in selling printing to businesses. Um, I was being groomed for a corporate leadership position in this national company, and I rose through some ranks in sales and sales management, and I eventually got to the point where I was able to take over and lead what they called their West Los Angeles sales office out of Culver City. Um, and I was a pretty good feather in my cap, you know, go to college, make all this money, you know, go up the corporate ladder, everything's good. Okay, this is the mid-80s. At the same time, I find out my company is being bought and sold privately, and every time it's handed off, it's being raided financially. And so pretty soon, here comes layoffs, here comes downturns, here comes the older sales managers being let go, and the younger ones being asked to take two and three times the workload. Okay, so a year or two of this went along in the early 90s, I'm married, I have three wonderful children and a wife who's working full-time as well, and my deal is changing and I'm not happy about it. I am not finding fulfillment in the work thing solely. All my life I have been, I can think about times going back where well-meaning friends have asked me, come to church, get involved, do this, do that. Nah, that's, that's, that, that church thing is for you guys, you know? I don't know what you see in that God thing, that whole spirit thing, right? I got me, the church and me, and we're doing okay. Somewhere along that line there in the early 90s, one of my business associates who I somewhat looked up to because of his lifestyle had it together. His wife wasn't working. They were doing okay financially, and he was a good guy. And I got curious. How is it that people succeed to this level and be like this. This church thing is for, you know, people that are struggling and people that are down, and it's a nice crutch for them. That was where I was, I confess. <laughs> That's where I was in my head. But yet, my friend Doug, 
represented a whole different type of success and happiness. And so I very, very slowly got curious about it with a whole lot of skepticism. And basically, they invited us to come to a Bible study with them in Corona. We lived here in Corona on Friday nights. I had never picked up a Bible and opened it in my life. So we stepped out on faith, you could say, complete faith on that one, started taking the kids to Corona, putting them in a little kid program while Paula and I sat in a room of about 50, 60 people with a guy that was leading out of the the book of Daniel, and he was all about fire and brimstone and all the stuff going on in Daniel. I'm like, whoa, what's this, what's this book say about how I'm supposed to live? <laughs> and you're talking about Daniel and the lion's den and people getting killed and all this stuff going on? Needless to say, it got me skeptically curious again. So I started reading the Bible for myself. First one I picked up was the only one I had in my house, which is my grand uncle's Bible, an old King James Version. Where do you start reading a book when you start reading a book? Page one. Jump into Genesis. Lots of these and thous, you know, made it through Genesis. Wow, that's kind of amazing. I wonder what that all means. Get into Numbers and Leviticus and This and thou begot this in person, and these and thys, and what? We don't talk like this anymore. Somebody somewhere along the way, I wasn't involved in this church yet, said to me, go get a living Bible. It's written in today's language. So I went in and found a living Bible at a Bible store, started reading it. Oh, this is what it says. Oh, it's kind of interesting. It reads like a story. All along the way, the Holy Spirit is working on me a little bit. Not a lot. I'm, 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 you know, I'll admit it. I'm a little scared about stepping out into a new group of people I don't know anything about. I don't trust them because, you know, you don't trust anyone when you're in the church of me. Right? So little by little, we go to this Bible study over and over and over for, I don't know, three, four months, something like that, Paula? Six months? One night, we're going down the 210 freeway on a Friday afternoon, sitting in that traffic in wherever, Altadena or wherever that is, stuck because of another SIG alert. And I said to myself, this is ridiculous. We're not doing this anymore. I'm going to go find a church near us. So my buddy happened to say, well, start with the Seventh-day Adventist church. There's really no reason, if you're not seeing anything in these Bible studies, that makes you too skeptical. So what I do, I come home that next week, I get in the phone book, Get in the phone book, went back when we all had one. <laughs> and I see Seventh-day Adventist Church, Valley Street, Newhall. Oh, okay. Tuesday afternoon, I show up over here. Just drive over here. This place is torn up. This place is falling apart. This place had somebody's vision in the beginning when it was built. And it was very clear to me that it was struggling to maintain that. I could just see it as I drove up, and I went, wow, is this really the church I'm supposed to be at? It doesn't look like a lot of prosperity just driving up to it. That's what the, you know, that's what the skeptical thing, right? It's always show me before I'll believe. So I pull up. I, I meet Pastor Glatz in his office. I'm sure he's blown away. He's sitting over here in what was the office at that time with old desks, old furniture, old whatever, and like looks up like, this guy walks in off the street and goes, I want to start coming to your church. Now, how often does that ever happen, Greg? Not very often. Not often enough. I don't know that walking in here. 
So he stops me, introduces himself, prays. He says, let's pray. Awkward. I'm not a prayer. Okay. He prays. He says, here's how it works. We meet on Saturdays. We have a Bible study at 930. We have a children's program here. Bring your kids and your wife. Come back on Saturday. We're happy to see you. See you later. I'm like, okay. He didn't like jump all over me and go, you're in. Okay. So we come back that first week. Again, like every one of you probably walked up to here for the very first time when you did and went, I wonder what these people are like. Hopefully you were greeted warmly and welcomely. We were that day. There were several people that day that impressed us enough to want to come back. Joe Trumbull was leading the little kids, the little kids class. She took Trevor right in, made us feel comfortable right away. We could leave our kid with her for an hour and probably she'll probably be fine. We met Peter and Ginger Thornburg. They, we felt a peer-to-peer connection with them right away. They have children about our age. Um, just felt, we felt a very genuineness and a warmness there. We met Milton and Janice Hinkle, who we felt um, warm and had a longevity here that maybe we could, if we just shut up long enough, we could learn from. What is this church thing all about? What's it supposed to be for me, you know? We met many of you that are in the room here and decided to come back. So a few years go by, and I'm still kind of tap dancing between the church of me and the church of Seventh-day Adventist Church here, you know. This all has to do with financial, the financial side of it, okay? Because the very hardest thing to do for a person who is not a believer is to give back money. I think it's one of the hardest things for people to do who don't have a walk with God and with a particular spiritual walk back, okay? And I don't just mean, well, I'm just going to give my percent and that's that. The rest is for me. I mean turning that around in your head to the point where everything I'm doing is about giving back to God and he'll get me enough to make what I need to make for myself. That's a complete 180-degree turn from where I was. And like a large ship trying to turn around the ocean, I didn't just spin that on a dime in a day. That took us many, many years. Okay? One of the things I wanted most out of all of this was I wanted to be in a position where I could get my wife home from work to raise our kids. That is the one thing that I got. I got to in my mid-30s where I realized we're going right for divorce if this doesn't happen. Because when she's gone all day fighting her, di- her demons, and I'm gone all day fighting the dragon and the demons, and we come home, and there's just tired, we're tired, and there's kids to raise, guess what? <sighs> Happens all the time. And I don't know what it was. I could just feel that, that we were probably going right down that path. So she allowed me to come to this point in our marriage to realize that, I guess. She never laid it on me. You have to get me home or that's it. I just knew it. I have to be the one to figure this out, and we've got to get, get to this. And we did come to that point where we figured out how to live on one income source. We cut a lot of stuff back, okay? Our kids were very little, two, three, four, five, something like that. First clue for you parents, cut the cable. I know you're giving me a chuckle, but I'm going to tell you in all sincerity, here's what it did. Financially, oh, yeah, it helped, okay? We were, you know, we were... Every $40 every month helped. 
but we didn't have the junk coming piped right into the house for them to just turn on and go through and see. I cannot tell you how much that set the pan for the way my children have turned out in life because we didn't fill their heads full of all the stuff going on out there. They got to watch DVDs and videos and stuff. They weren't completely deprived of it, okay? But until they were about five, six, seven, eight, we didn't go back to having cable and turn the TV on a lot. If you wanted something to do, go outside and play, read a book. There's a thousand other things to go do when that TV's not on, okay? It it was the strangest thing because later on, I, I only see all this after the fact. I couldn't really tell at the time. But God was working on us. At the same time, we're going to Bible studies with Milton and Janice and uh, Bunny and Wes and Bunny and Wes's home every Friday night. We got to know this family here, this church family. We felt more and more uh, loved. We felt more and more like a part of that. We started to understand what does it really say in this Bible about how I'm supposed to live. Started to really take that seriously. Not uh, legalistically, just seriously. Like, what is God asking me here? There was a church member, Paul Zank, who came along through this process early on, and we sat down one day, and he starts talking to me about Malachi, the book of Malachi. Malachi 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 basically says, everything's God's, and you have to be willing to give some of it back. And you have to do it with a happy heart. And I think it even says in there, if you don't do it with a happy heart, it's like blasphemy, which is to basically just turn away and push God away. Right? So now you're, you're talking to the guy, you're talking to the church and me here. I'm holding on tight. What? At the same time, this church had assembled a new group of people and had a, a current group of people that determined that they wanted to build what you see out here today in this multi-purpose room and these classrooms and refurbish the back, the very back building back there. And it was going to take some money. It was going to take eight, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars to do it. And they called a special meeting together of anyone who was any kind of a regular person that came to the church. And we all sat in that little room out there and we listened to a presentation and they were individually asked, collectively, but we were asked to individually make a financial commitment and write it down on a piece of paper how much we could give toward this without sharing with everybody else. We just simply did that and turned it in. Okay? So I'm reading the Bible, I'm studying, and I'm asking myself all this time, I'm like, maybe this is the time I need to really, really step out. I don't know where we're going to come up with this kind of money because we're barely scraping along right now. But we did it. We made the commitment. We turned it in. Turns out everybody, we added it all up, and they went, you probably have enough to go ahead and get started building your building. And that was the beginning. Everybody stepped out on faith. Pete, you talked about that a little bit last week. In the meantime, in my job, I have moved on. I have gone to work for a local company here in sales, selling business uh, data uh, and document processing and mailing services to big businesses. What that means is you get a bank statement, you get a bill in the mail, you get something posted online. Some of it's coming through my efforts to go to these companies and get them to outsource that. Somehow, some way, through all of this, I got my head down and I'm working my job. I'm working hard. I'm selling. I'm talking to people. I'm trying to get people to, you know, buy from me and buy the services we have and all that. And I'm starting to get these little breaks all through this. And every time I pick up a new account, it helps my income stream, okay? Little by little, all of a sudden, we're like breathing again financially. 
First thing I didn't do, that I kept reading about this in the Bible, was I didn't just turn on God and go, thanks God, got what I needed. I decided, you know, I'm going to test God. It says in here, test me with your giving. I'll give it back to you in such a way that you can't even imagine, as long as you do this unconditionally. It can't be conditional, hey God, I need this, so I'll do this. It has to be, hey God, here it is, I'm giving this to you. Whatever happens after this happens. And that's what we did. And the last 11, 12 years have been an unbelievable blessing on us financially because of work situations and stuff. I've had my hat handed to me lots of times and all that. You should all know that. I've lost lots of business and revenue at the same time. At the same time, I've picked up enough that we've been able to make it. We've been able to give continually to this church. And I I, I don't say that for you guys to judge me in any way at all or judge yourselves against this story. Please don't do that. Early on, when we had no money, I did figure out what I could do is give my time and my talent. And I saw an older gentleman here named David LaCara painting and fixing sprinkler heads as fast as they were getting broken. He was doing everything around here, and he was not keeping up with it. It was just too much. A gentleman named Dean Morford, a gentleman named Brian um, Lovell were helping out at that time with facilities. And I simply said, can I come and help with something? And I started sort of working this into my life. Okay, it wasn't always what you all have seen in the last few years around here with me. It was tiptoeing, you know, sticking one toe into the the pool first. So I can't tell you where God is taking my family with all of this or all of us together, except to tell you that the more I figure out how to give back, the more I seem to be getting blessed. I don't know how else to say it. And so I'm not going to mess with that formula. It's working. It's kind of working for me. And the day, when the day comes that we have to cut back on on expenses and things because of situations, I still have God with me. I'm not going to condition this on, on, well, God, since you gave to me, you know, then I'll give it back until you stop and then that's it. No, it's forever. It's from here on in. I think that's all he wanted out of me was to turn, you know, open my heart of hearts up and just let, we talked this morning about the Holy Spirit. You don't hear it. It's all around you all the time. You don't feel it. You don't see it. You don't know it till you really move towards God open-mindedly and open-heartedly, and then you get filled with something. You don't feel it at the time, maybe, but you certainly know it later on. So I'd like to encourage all of you to let God into your hearts in whatever way and whatever time, talent, or money financially that you can for the benefit of this congregation and our church specifically, and the greater Christianhood in general in the world out there. Test God. You got to do it sincerely, though. Don't make it a flippant, well, we'll just see it. You can help me make my rent next month, then I'll go to church. Not that way. It doesn't work that way. You have to be willing to give it up first. And he'll build on that. He will build on that little tiny mustard seed of faith He'll make that stronger in you little by little by little. And you probably won't see it coming when it happens. It's, pro- it's not until later on you look back and you go, that was the time right there that was the blessing. Or that was the time he changed my course. I was asking, what do I do? I'm not really sure which direction we ought to be going here. Okay. So I'd like to encourage all of you to continue with your giving. I know many of you in this church give considerably. And uh, you can see the evidence of that around you here. In the next uh, 
Sabbath, we're going to have a speaker talking about spiritual gifts, correct? Next week. Make sure you come for that because everyone has that and everyone can contribute something to the value of this church. Would the deacons and deans, deacons please come forward and collect the offering. Please stand as we uh, sing hymn number 694, the offering response. come up for mine, so I'll take it back to them. Okay, let's have a children's story this morning. Joe Trumbull is here. All you kids, come forward, please. Now is your time. Joe has a wonderful story for us.
happy to see everyone this morning. I taught cradle roll here for 32 years, and all of the children in my class, I always taught them that at night before you go to bed, you have to brush your teeth. We have to keep our teeth clean. We talked about lots of things to do, but we need to keep, keep our teeth clean. At night, before you sleep, you brush your teeth. Let's see, I have some toothpaste here. Everybody knows how to brush your teeth. You put your toothpaste on the toothbrush, right? You put some toothpaste on here, and then pass it along. That's it. Okay, give it a good squeeze. Good job. Okay. Here. Thank you. Good sharing. Squeeze it out good. All right. Give it a good squeeze. At nighttime, we have to have our teeth clean so that we don't get any cavities. We don't want any holes in our teeth. That's no fun. Give it a good squeeze. Pass it along. That's it. Good cooperation. Good job. Because we only want to go to the dentist just for a checkup to get our teeth cleaned, the kind of cleaning that we can't get with the toothpaste. We don't want any holes in our teeth. But take care of our mouth. Good job. Okay, Liam. That's it. Here, Liam. Smells good too, doesn't it? Mmm. Kind of minty. <laughs> when we brush our teeth, we brush them up and down. And we brush all the flat places. We brush behind our teeth. Which one? Mmm. Last one, and then you bring it up for me, okay? Oh, thank you. Oh, good job. Look at all of this. Whoa. It's kind of a mess, isn't it? Oh, um, a little bit of a mess, right? Okay. Now, who here can come up and put this back in the tube. Me. Can you put it back in? You want to put it back in the tube? That'd be hard. It would be hard. I think so. Anyone else want to try it? Me. Mm, I don't think we're going to get it back inside. This toothpaste is a real mess. And when we use words that hurt, that makes a real mess. And when the words come out of your mouth, it's like the toothpaste coming out of this tube. You can't take it back. You can't put it back in. So we have to be very, very careful not to use words that'll hurt. Who's heard the expression, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me? 
You've heard that before? No? Well, it, I, it's old school, I guess. <laughs> but sticks and stones will hurt you, hurt your body, but words and names can hurt your feelings, right? And we don't ever want to hurt anyone's feelings. We don't ever want to wor use words that will harm someone or hurt their feelings. We have to be very careful when we talk to talk, say kind words, nice words, never harsh words or words that will hurt. Yes. So we need to be very, very careful about the way we speak and what, we, what words that we use. Okay? I'm going to give everyone... A toothbrush to remind you to brush your teeth. Take a pick. Just one. That's it. Wait a second. There's plenty. Do we have enough for everyone? Okay. Yes. Christopher. Okay. So stand, everyone stand, please. Thank you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for taking care of us and loving us. Please be with us and, and help us never to say heart, hurtful words, words that hurt people. Keep our words kind and gentle and sweet. Because we love you so much, we want to be like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's get a basket. The baskets are under the seat. Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew 4, 22 through 24, and in your Peel Bibles on page 892. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Amen. Amen.
Reprise. You'll be able to hear them in concert this afternoon right after lunch. Thank you guys. That was really fun. Did you have fun with that? All right. Well, let's get on to the preaching, shall we? <laughs> You're not hungry, are you? Or maybe you are for the word, yeah? Okay. Well, that's what it's all about. We're talking about words that give life, and Jesus is the word who is life. So there we have it. 
I want to invite you to just kind of keep up with me in the scriptures. I'm not going to give you a page reference for everything, but then I think that's a good exercise in seeing if you know where things are in scripture, and if not, learning more about how to find those. So be sure to pull your Bible out. It is camp meeting after all. And uh, let me just pause for a moment and bless this time. Lord, speak through me this afternoon as we share from your word. We call your Bible the Word, and it is, for it is the Word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But it is not the Word that was in the beginning. And so to you be glory and honor, praise forevermore in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Proverbs twelve eighteen, we have a wonderful text that says this. Twelve eighteen Proverbs. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We've all been hurt by words, and I'm guessing if we think about it, we've all been healed by them too. Have you ever had a conversation, and somebody else was part of that conversation, listening maybe passively, and you were really, it was escalating, you really weren't understanding what the other person was saying, the tensions were rising, or something was said that was kind of hit you the wrong way, you were maybe offended by it or hurt by it, and the other person steps in and with words recapitulates, reframes, says it again in a way that you can hear the other person, and the tensions go away, or says a word that takes the sting right out of what was just said. Have you ever had that experience? Words heal. I don't know, some time back was several months ago now, maybe longer, I lose track of time. I invited all of you, I preached about the power of blessing. Was anybody here for that sermon? Few of you were. And I invited you at the end of the service to turn to the person next to you or to pick somebody that maybe you didn't know even that well and to offer to lay your hand on them and bless them. Because words of blessing have such potency and such power. They're words that heal. When I think about words that heal, I think about words that are gracious. I think about words that are painful. If you've ever visited somebody, a counselor, a spiritual guide, if you've ever sat down with somebody in a marriage counseling setting or something like that, if your counselor is doing their job, at some point they're going to tell you something that hurts. And the reason that it hurts is because it's deep it's personal, and it's true. It's a different kind of pain. You see, sometimes we have to be hurt in order to be healed. So there are words that can be painful to us, but if they reveal a truth that God wants us to see or know about ourselves, that we might be more complete as human beings or better in a relationship with one another or with our spouse or our children or something else, God is willing to speak those words into our lives through others, through the wise, to hurt us that we might heal. 
Most of the time, coming back to my opening word, we think of words like graciousness, loving words, kind words can be healing words. But perhaps the most healing word of all is a word of release. It's when you are genuinely sorry that something has occurred or you feel bad about that and you apologize and someone genuinely says back, it's all right. I forgive you. Or don't worry about it. I've already let it go. These are words that wash over us with healing. They wash over us with healing power. They wash over us in grace. See, Jesus' ministry was about this a lot. Turn to Matthew 4, where we were just reading. This section, and at the end of Matthew 4, simply says Jesus heals the sick. And I want to highlight a couple things, starting in verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee. This is Matthew, again, 4.23. Jesus went about Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Now, let's just pause there, shall we? There are a couple of things that are, they are verbs. They are words that are verbs that tell us about something going on involving words. The first one is teaching. Jesus was teaching. The Son of God had begun his ministry, and the first thing he was doing was teaching. We all need to be taught by God, yes? And so when we, when we listen to a godly word, when we are taught by God, when we teach others of God, we're imitating Jesus in word. The second thing we see, it gives clarity to what kind of teaching he was doing. He was proclaiming the good news. Now that is something powerful. The good news was that the kingdom of God was near and among us. There's something very foreign to that about that for us, I think. And yet for those who heard those words, it had such power. The kingdom of God is now here and among you. The Romans don't rule. The rule of the kingdom of God is here among you. The religious elite don't rule. The kingdom of God is here among you. Poverty and disease and sickness and death don't rule. The kingdom of God is here among you. The good news of the kingdom and the arrival of the kingdom in the person of Jesus. And then it said, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Words were part of all of it. And Jesus healed in so many interesting ways. Some of it was physical, like when he made clay of spit and put it upon a man's eyes. But so often it was accompanied with words. Your faith has made you whole. Go and sin no more. Daughter. He said so many beautiful words of healing. When he healed. And he says those words to us today. It says in verse 24 that news 
about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all were ill with various diseases, those suffering in severe pain and the devil possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. He healed them with words. Son, your sins are forgiven you. Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Simple words, powerful words. Words that didn't need to be spoken loudly or spoken at all, but just whispered they had so much power. Large crowds from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. And why wouldn't they? Whereas so many had been hurt by words, so many pronouncements had been made, so many judgments made, because you see, when someone was sick in biblical times, it meant that they had done something wrong. Do you ever have a setback in life and feel like maybe you did something wrong? Somehow you were being punished by God or the cosmos or something? Now, don't get me wrong. Every action has a consequence. And so there is a connection sometimes to what we've done and the outcome. I'm not trying to mitigate that or suggest that reality isn't there. But very often, I think we think if we have a setback, if something awful happens to us, it's a judgment. And this was how the people of the day viewed it. When they were sick, it was obvious that they had committed some sin. Something had gone wrong. So when Jesus forgives, he doesn't just forgive them. Healing accompanies forgiveness. There's something good news-ish about that, yes? If you would be forgiven, would you not be healed as well? I don't think we give enough credit to the power of mind. We live in a society that's still very mechanical in our approach to so many things. If there's something wrong with the body, cut it out or operate on it or chemical treat it. Something is our mentality. And I have nothing against Western medicine. I marvel at what can be achieved through surgery. And when I'm prescribed drugs, I take them. Well, you laugh at that, but I know a lot of people who think that they're poisoning themselves by taking what's prescribed them and refuse the healing that might be present in that. There are lots of ways to be healed, though, you see. And one of the things that we don't give enough credibility to is our own mindset about things. When Jesus says, don't worry, I'll provide for you, Paul alluded to that. When he says, don't worry, I'm going to take care of you, it's because that kind of worry will drive you to an early grave. It's because that kind of worry wears you down and makes the image of God in you less visible and less pronounced and less able to rise and thrive. When God says your body is the temple of the living God, he doesn't mean that you have to live in some kind of incredibly harsh discipline. What he means is that you belong to him. And if you'll trust him and take care of yourself, he'll provide with you and for you. God wants us whole. 
That's my belief, my conviction. Wholeness, that's a great word. And healing is what is necessary in a race beset with sin if we're to be made whole. And Jesus has the words that heal. In Malachi, I think, Paul, you alluded to that as well, not far from the section Paul was talking about in chapter 3, where covenant is broken by withholding tithes and offerings, and you should feel free to read that any time. Malachi 2, 4-2, shares something very special, and I'm going to start actually in verse 1. Malachi 4-1, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Now that's the judgment, right? That sounds pretty severe. That's judgment by fire. That's everything consumed. But it says next, but for you who revere my name. What does revere mean? Have reverence for, respect, honor. And you see, this isn't just a matter of, you know, the bow. It isn't just a matter of the nod of the head or the statement of that. It's about the state of your heart. You see, this goes back to the commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We usually think that that amounts to avoiding things like saying golly geez and that sort of thing, right? Okay, I'm not saying you should say those words, by the way. I'm just giving... But the real meaning of that goes much deeper than what you say when you're upset or when you want to make an emphatic statement or something else. The real meaning of that is, are you a Christian? Because when you take on the name of Jesus Christ, you take on the name of Christian. And are you profaning that name by the way you live? By the way you are? But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. And you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Have you ever made the statement or heard it, energy is wasted upon the youth? Just starting to understand that, huh? Okay. I'm getting old before my time, apparently. It's true. When we see the young frolicking, it's, there's joy in this, there's health, there's a picture of perfect wholeness. And we want that. We desire that. You see, Malachi's very clever. He draws on the Son of Righteousness, whom we understand to be Jesus, S-O-N, and sort of bridges it over to sun, S-U-N of righteousness, meaning the glory of God is like the sun in our lives. You don't look at the sun very long, and in full day you don't stand in it very long either. The intensity is incredible. This is the God who is a fire, consuming fire, spoken of there in verse 1. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing. God's light rises in our hearts as we revere him, as we trust in his name, 
as we think of him with reverence, as we accept the grace and forgiveness and healing that he wants to bring into our lives. Finally, I'm going to invite you to turn to Revelation. Revelation 22, last chapter of the Bible. Right at the beginning of Revelation 22, there's a description of Eden being restored that I want to highlight. You see, Eden was first our home, lost and then lost to us through the present time. We wait for a day of restoration in which everyone will finally be healed of the curse and healed of sin. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for what? The healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. That's an important text to follow the healing of the nation. What is the curse? got to go back to Genesis 3. Well, sin is a curse, but sin brings on a curse. What is the curse brought on in sin? Death. For women, pain in childbirth. For men, raising crops by the sweat of the brow, thorns and thistles, briars, being ejected from their home in Eden, no more entrance into the home. Angels, seraphim with flaming swords guarding the entrances to Eden. The curse is that we're out The curse is that we're going to die. The curse is that life is now hard and painful. The the curse is that we hurt one another. The first thing that happens in the first generation of humans is murder. Cain rises up to bash Abel's head in because he's not happy with the way his own disobedience came out when it came to sacrifice. We've been living that ever since. And Revelation 22 declares the end of that. There's going to be water of life flowing from the throne of God, food aplenty, trees lining this that produce 12 crops a year. How many trees do you know produce 12 crops a year in our world? Not many. In fact, none I know of. Constant flow of fruit. Something different every month. We'll all be enrolled in the Harry and David Fruit of the Month Club, only it's going to be better. And if you've ever had their pears, that's saying a lot. That's pretty close to heaven right there, I'm thinking. Twelve crops. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Who are the nations? Made up of you and I. People. There's healing there. And the curse is gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. You see, we lost that in the curse too, didn't we? And his name will be on their foreheads, not the mark of the beast, but the seal of God, the name of God on our foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Words of healing in the last book of the Bible point to something eternal, 
something everlasting. Point to something greater and beyond ourselves. They point to a lamb of righteousness who sits on the throne, who when he speaks, speaks words of healing. Will you take those words today? Will you receive them to yourself? Will you accept the forgiveness? Live in the grace? Will you let him do the hard work of sometimes saying words into your life of pain from which he expects you to recover and grow? Will you let the lamb lead you? Will you let the sun rise and not consume you? Will you let God restore Eden to you and heal all that you are and all that you love? This is what he offers. This is the power of words. May we all find grace and healing. Amen. Our closing hymn is found on page uh, 472, A Song of Heaven and Homeland. Please stand. grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
May he be praised now and forevermore. Amen.